Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. Philippians 2, 14 through 18. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you should find a copy right there under your seat in the book rack there. You should find a copy of God's Word. Take that copy and find Philippians 2 with me. Philippians 2, 14 through 18 is where we'll spend our time together this morning as we continue our journey through this uh, great letter of encouragement, of hope, and joy that the Apostle Paul writes. And so as you're finding Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18, just a, a simple question for you. And, and uh, don't answer this out loud because you might embarrass yourself. Don't raise your hand. Uh, but l- let, me, let me ask you this question. Uh, how many of you in this room complain? Okay, second question. How many of you in this room complain a lot? Right? I mean, you, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things we tend to complain about. And some of us we complain quite a bit, right? I mean, so, so think about it because in this room, I mean, we're a diverse group of people and we all have our own lives. We do different things. And so, so what you complain about might be a little bit different than what I complain about, but, but there are some things that we all complain about, right? So let me just give you some examples. You know this, I don't even have to tell you this. I mean, we all complain about politics, like you complained about politics this week, I'm sure, because I did. So we all complain about politics, especially this time of year when we're getting ready for a presidential election. How about traffic? We all complain about traffic. And, and if there's been anything good about this pandemic, the traffic's been better, hadn't it? But it's getting bad again, right? Like, oh man. So we all complain about traffic. And, and think about this. We all complain about the weather. You can't do anything about it, but you complain about it. You know, a week ago or two weeks ago, there was no rain in sight and our grass was turning brown. Now there's nothing but rain and yeah, we complain about it, right? Think about this. We all complain about work. I mean, I don't because of a perfect job, right? But, but you, you, you complain about your job unless you're going to own a Chick-fil-A. Then you don't complain, right? Or think about this. We all complain about Walmart. I mean, you know this. I mean, Walmart is a necessary evil. Like we have to go there. It's got the best prices on whatever you're looking for. You must go to Walmart, but no one likes it. And you complain about the whole, or at least I do. I complain about the whole time I'm there. Or think about this, yeah, um, slow Wi-Fi. Oh, isn't it frustrating? You're, you're watching Netflix and you're right in the middle of whatever you're watching and then it just starts stopping. It just stops and you're like, man, I gotta get a new router or something. You complain about, Randy, where are you at? The Wi-Fi in my office is really slow, Randy. I need you to do something about that this week. We'll talk about that later. How about this? Air travel, right? Air travel. Nobody likes to go to the airport and take your shoes off and the whole process. And I haven't flown since the pandemic started, but man, I'm dreading it now because I know everything's changed. And so, so, but think about it. We complain about air travel, yet we get in a plane that takes us 40,000 feet in the air. I mean, it's a miracle. A mir- you fly. Like you don't have wings, but you can fly. It's a miracle, but you complain about the miracle the whole time, right? Or think about this, right? Facebook statuses. Oh my goodness, I complain about your Facebook statuses all the time. Like I see the stuff you write and I'm like, what's wrong with you, right? And then I write my own Facebook statuses and then think, what's wrong with me? And so, so think about this. 
People who stare at their phones. Oh, you don't like this either. You go to a restaurant, you see a couple sitting there or, and, and they don't even talk to each other. They stare at their phones the whole time, and, but yet you do the same thing. And so, so yeah, or think about this. We all complain about this long-winded preaching. Amen. Yeah, right? I mean, every one of you, you're going to leave this morning saying, man, that was the best sermon I ever heard. It was just 45 minutes too long, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. And so all that to say, we all have things that we complain about. I read an article this week from a psychological journal, which I don't recommend you read those kinds of things, but I did. And, and so, so what it said about complaining, it said that the average person complains between 15 and 30 times a day. Now, some of you are above average, right? Some of you are right in the middle, wherever you might be, but, but think about it. What that means probably for a lot of us in this room is some of us this week spent more time complaining than we did encouraging. The reality is some of us spent more time this week complaining than we did praying. Some of us spent more time this week complaining than we did reading the scripture. You probably, if you're like me, spent a significant portion of your time this week expressing dissatisfaction about something. And here's reality. You know this. It ain't good. It's destructive. It destroys you. It destroys those around you. There's nothing good that typically comes out of complaining. It doesn't make your circumstances better. And it doesn't make you feel better once you've done it. Paul knows this. And he's writing to the church at Philippi to help them because they're complaining. I mean, think about it. They were Roman citizens. Life was going well. And, and then they gave their lives to Jesus. And giving your life to Jesus is a good thing, right? I mean, that saves you from hell, gives you eternity with the Father. That's a good thing, but it's hard. And so here you have this church of people who are struggling. They're beginning to face some persecution. And I bet you they're complaining about how hard life is. It was so much easier when we weren't Christians. It was so much easier when we just worshiped the other gods. Paul's been addressing some struggles they were having within their church. They were lacking some unity. I'm sure they're complaining about each other. I can't believe he said this. I can't believe she did that. They're complaining. And so now Paul writes these words. It's very practical, very down to earth. And, and he's helping them to think through how they should handle their complaining ways. And what I want us to see from this passage, just, just real quickly, I want us to see three reasons why complaining is so dangerous. Three reasons why complaining is so dangerous. So if you have your Bibles, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18. This is what the Bible says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time together this, this morning and for time in your word. Now, Father, as we spend this time together in your word, we're trusting that your spirit is going to speak to us. You're going to instruct us. You're going to encourage us. So help us to listen carefully to what you're saying to us. Help us listen with hearts that, that long to be transformed by the work of your spirit. Help us this morning to desire 
to be obedient to your word, to be conformed to your son, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, look, look at what it says. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling. Now, that, that word grumbling in this context is synonymous with the word complaining. If you're like me and you, you're reading from the English Standard Version or maybe you're reading from the Christian Standard Bible or the NIV or a translation like that, you probably have that same word there in Philippians chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling. If you're reading from another translation like the New Living Translation, it may use the word complaining. But, but the words are, are synonymous in a lot of ways. But when you think about the word complaining, you, you pro, or excuse me, when you think about the word grumbling, Maybe a couple images come to mind. Grumbling people. Grumbling people are people that are never satisfied, right? Always negative, just murmuring along and never happy about life. It's no fun to be around grumbling people. And and I I bet that, that when Paul writes these words, he has a specific group of people in mind. A group of people you find in the Bible. Who were the most famous grumblers in the Bible? The Hebrew people. Right? And so, so I, I bet you that when Paul writes these words to the church at Philippi, that's in the backdrop of his mind. What Paul doesn't want is Paul does not want the church at Philippi to imitate the ways of the Hebrews in the Old Testament, specifically when the Hebrews wandered in the wilderness, because that's all they did was complain. Remember? I mean, God had worked miraculously. I mean, my goodness, he, he, he brought these plagues on Egypt to prove to the Hebrew people that, that he was God and, and to, 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 to get the, the Pharaoh to let the people go. And it took forever. But finally, the Pharaoh lets the Hebrew people go after 400 years of slavery. They're free. And they saw it, right? They, they saw how God parted a sea and they walked through the sea on dry land to escape the pursuit of the Egyptians. And there they were in the wilderness and God provided for them. In fact, let me show you. Take your Bibles real quick and go back to the book of Numbers. Go to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And you come to verse four in chapter 11. And listen to what Numbers eleven four says. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. I mean, you got problems with those are your favorite foods, right? But that's what they say. We remember all these things, and, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. I mean, think about this, and you know this. Every morning, the Hebrew people, they woke up rolled out of their beds, walked outside, and there was a manna buffet. It was there. And that manna, I I didn't eat it. You didn't eat it either. We don't know what it actually tasted like or what it might have looked like, but it was good. It was sustaining. It gave them the energy they needed. It had all the nutrients they needed. It was all they needed. And they didn't do anything for it. They didn't have to go to the drive-thru to get it. They didn't have to go to Walmart to get it. They didn't have to go hunting for it. They didn't have to gather it. All they had to do was roll out of bed and walk out the door and boom, breakfast was on the ground, right? Oh, but we wish it was like when we were in Egypt, like when we were slaves, like we know we were tormented. We know we were tortured. We know we were under hard work. 
at least we got to eat fish and cucumbers and leeks and onions and garlic. And now all we got, we've got freedom. But what good is freedom if all you got is manna to eat, right? Complaining. Look down a, a little bit in the passage and, and see how God responds to this, right? This is great. So you come down and you look uh, at the end of verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat. You want meat? God's gonna give it to you. You shall eat and you shall eat not, not one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and he comes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? You hear what God says. You want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat that within a month, you're gonna have hamburger helper running out your nose, right? It's gonna be bad. And you come back to Philippians chapter two. This is the backdrop. Paul says, listen, do all things. Do all things. Do all things. Circle that word all. Because I don't know about you, but when I read that word all, you know what I think? Really? That's not possible. I mean, sometimes I hold my tongue, but not all the time. Sometimes I don't complain, but not all the time. Do, do all things without complaining? I mean, it, it seems like, right, that, that Paul is setting us up for failure. I mean, it's not possible, is it? It's not possible to do all things without grumbling or complaining. Unless, now watch this, you got coming close, it's gonna be good. Unless you consider what Paul's already said. Remember last week, we looked at, at verses 12 and 13, where Paul says what? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, right? That, that, that you've got to make a conscious choice, a conscious choice, right? A conscious choice to put away the complaining. You've got to make a conscious choice every single day that I'm going to use my words differently. I'm not going to complain every time I get dissatisfied with life because you know what complaining is, don't you? What complaining is, at, at the heart of complaining, what complaining is, it's an attitude of ingratitude. That you're just not thankful. I mean, this was the case with the Hebrews. And God brought them out of Egypt. And God brought them into the wilderness. And he provided for them. He fed them every single day. He even gave them water to drink out of a rock. But ungrateful. Not enough. And so when you and I complain, what we're essentially saying to God is what? Come on, God. It's all you got. You can do better than this. God, you, you, you've got better for me. Come on, God. And so whenever you and I complain, that's what we're doing. We're showing a heart attitude that is ungrateful for the, to the God of all creation for the things that he's already given us. And when you and I complain, you know this, what we're, what we're doing is that we're demonstrating that we don't trust God. We don't trust his plan. We don't trust that he knows what's best. We don't trust that he knows how to make us into the image of his son. Because if God was good, if God knew what he was doing, he'd give me what I want. He'd give me what I think I need, right? And so because he doesn't, we complain. We're ungrateful. We don't think God knows what he's doing in our lives. Paul says, do all things. Go back, right? Philippians 2, 12 and 13. 
Work out your salvation is that conscious choice, that conscious choice, that that daily, I'm gonna make a decision to put that away. Now watch this. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling for what? For it is God who works in you. When I read Philippians 2 verse 14, do all things, it seems like an impossibility until I back up. That, That when I make the conscious decision, right, you follow? When I make the conscious decision to put away my complaining, the Spirit of God works in me to help me, right? Now look at what else the passage says. You come down, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Blameless and innocent. Now follow me carefully. You know this about you. You're not blameless and you're not innocent, but something happened in your life. Years ago or months ago, whenever it was for you, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And in that moment that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, even though you're not blameless, even though you're not innocent, you were declared blameless. You were declared innocent, not because you are, because, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. He died in your place, taking the punishment for your sin. And, 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 and he gave you his righteous, innocent life in exchange. You're not blameless. You're not innocent. But you were declared that because of Jesus Christ. Now, now how does all this connect? Now watch. When you, what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you following? When you make the decision to put away your complaining, God works in you to help you with that. And then what happens? In your life, you begin to give evidence, right? Because you're not complaining as much anymore. When you, when you allow the Spirit of God work in you and you decide to put that to death, you give evidence of the reality of who you are. You give evidence of the position that you have before Jesus. You give evidence that you actually belong to him. So now watch this, watch this. First reason why complaining is so dangerous. Complaining is dangerous because when you complain, you demonstrate how ungrateful you are. But now watch this. When you refrain from complaining, it is evidence of your position before Jesus. Are you following? It's evidence that you're working out your salvation and that the Spirit of God is at work in you. And so people can see it in you. Man, that you're a child of God, that you're blameless, not that you actually are blameless, but that the blood of Christ has been applied to your life, that your position has changed. You see, you follow? But when you complain, right, it shows a lack of gratitude for the ways that God has already blessed you. When you complain, it doesn't give evidence. It doesn't give evidence of the work that God has done in your life. When you complain, all it shows is that you're ungrateful, that you think you deserve better than what God has given you. And I know, I know, I know. I know, I know what some of you are thinking. One, you're thinking, I can't stop it. All things, this past week on um, Friday, Hudson graduated from kindergarten, which is obviously a big deal, right? He can write his name and color and all those kind of things. And so he got a diploma for that and he got to wear a cap and gown. And, and my parents came in town to uh, um, see him graduate, had a lot of fun. It was a great day. And so, so my parents were here this morning for the 930 service and, and they just left to go back to Augusta. When they left to go back to Augusta just a few minutes ago, do you know what they did? They took the boys with them. Praise God, right? So, 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 so for, for the next week or so, Stacy and I are kid-free. It's going to be awesome, right? We're going to finish unpacking the house, I hope. We're going to uh, uh, do some other things. But, but you know, we're, we're, we, we, we have no parenting responsibilities for the next week or so. It's going to be awesome, right? And here's what I know is going to happen. Maybe not today. 
Maybe not tomorrow, but Wednesday or Thursday, Stacy's going to say to me, Tommy, let's go to the Tanger Outlet. <laughs> I already know that. And right now, already in my heart, I can feel the anxiety. Already, I feel the stress. Already, right? Already, I'm complaining about it, right? But because I'm a good husband, I'm gonna take her to the Tanger Outlet. And you know what I'm gonna be? Patient for about 10 minutes. And then I'm gonna start complaining about how bad the Tanger Outlet is and why we need to leave. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm already anticipating this. Like, it has not even happened yet. But I'm already complaining about it because I already know what's gonna happen, right? And I'm already feeling miserable about it. You see what I'm saying? And there's things about that like that in you as well. Maybe it's not something silly like going to the Tanger Outlet, but but there are things in your life that, that haven't even happened yet, but you're already complaining about them because that's just kind of who we are, right? Constantly expressing our dissatisfaction. And then you have to say, but Pastor, you don't know. You don't understand me. You don't know how bad my life is. I have a right to complain. I mean, if you saw who I was married to, right? You'd understand why I complain. If you understood what was going on at my job right now, you'd know why I complain so much. If you understood the health issues I face every single day, you'd understand why I complain so much. You don't know how bad my life is. And you're right. I don't. And I understand, I understand uh, that, that there are those of us in this room who really are facing some tremendous challenges. And, and we have a tendency to think that because of the challenges we are experiencing, that we haven't been given a fair shake in life. And so therefore we deserve to let off a little steam. We deserve to complain. Listen, I don't know your problems, but here's what I do know. I do know how good your God is. Do you understand? And so, so just think about it. I know how good your God is. And I know that in your circumstances that, that you perceive as just terrible circumstances, God is able to work in, in ways that are beyond your comprehension. And here's why I know, right? Here's why I know. Your God is good. And you don't have to complain about everything you complain about. But instead, you can speak the truth over your life. I mean, it's okay. It's okay to be honest. And it's okay to be honest before God. God, this is not what I had planned. God, God, this is not what I envisioned for my life. It's okay to take your, your, your pain and take your sorrows and take your grief, take your dissatisfaction. It's okay to take it to the Lord, right? Because he's certainly big enough to handle it. But as you take it to the Lord, take it in a spirit of truth. God, I, I don't like where my life's at right now, but I, I believe that you are good and that you're my provider. And, and even in the midst of this, I have every reason to be thankful, you see? Because all complaining does is that demonstrates how ungrateful you are. But now watch this, we gotta move. When you complain, not only do you demonstrate how ungrateful you are, but you also, now watch this, you hinder the work of the gospel. Come back to the text and see what it says. And we got to move. You come down and you look at what it says, for example, um, in verse 15 again, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, remember that we're grumbling, that when Paul writes that we're grumbling, he probably has in the backdrop the Hebrew people. Remember? Now, now, look at that phrase there in your Bible. 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's an interesting phrase because that's an Old Testament phrase. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse five, that phrase, now watch, crooked and twisted generation, that was a phrase used by God to describe the Hebrew people. Remember Genesis chapter 12, right? In Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I'm gonna make you and your descendants into a great nation. And, 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 and through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You come to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and, and God has delivered his people out of Egypt. He's given them freedom and all they're doing is complaining. It does not look like the Hebrew people will ever be a nation that blesses anybody. So God says, you're a twisted and crooked generation. Now, now it seems as if Paul's saying in Philippians chapter two, one, you live in a twisted and crooked generation. And while you're living in a twisted and crooked generation, don't be like the Hebrews who were a twisted and crooked generation themselves. No, no, instead you in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation, you have a, a responsibility to do what? Shine as lights. Now, when you think about that word light, you think about all kinds of things. But in the context of the scripture, especially the New Testament, when you think of light, you think of none, no one other than Jesus Christ himself. Because in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said what? I am the light of the world. Do you want to see? Do you want to see how to get to the Father? Do you want to see how to have a relationship with God? Do you want to see how to experience everything your heart longs to experience? Look to the light. Look to Jesus, right? Isn't this good? Jesus is the light. And he showed us that the way to the Father was through his humiliating death. That the one who was perfect went to a cross and died the death that we deserve. And then three days later, rose from the grave victoriously, securing for all of us who believe in him, life eternal and everlasting and forgiveness of sins. And you know what's so amazing about the good news of Jesus? Think about it. Jesus never once complained about you. He never once complained about me. He had plenty of reason to. But think about his life on this earth. I mean, think about just with his disciples. Peter, Always put his foot in the mouth, right? Do we ever read about Jesus saying to the Heavenly Father, come on, Peter, do you see him? You want me to die for Peter? Are you serious? Right? Or, or think about, you know, James and John who wanted to call down fire from heaven. Seriously, God? You may give my life for these boneheads, right? He didn't do that. And you've given Jesus plenty of reasons to complain but he's never complained about you. He's never complained about me. No, no, in faithfulness to his father's mission and in love for us, the God of all creation came to us, incarnated in human form and, and lived the life that we could not live and went to a cross and died the death that we deserve without complaining. We've said it so many times, Hebrews chapter 12, right? But with joy, knowing that through his death and resurrection, he would bring us into his everlasting family. But not only that, right? Think about Ephesians, right? Where, where the Bible says that now, Christ has what? Raised us in the heavenly places with him. Ephesians 1, 3, he's given us every spiritual blessing 
Talk about light. Talk about love. This is what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And if you've ever placed your faith in Jesus, this is what he will do for you today. If you will believe that he is the light, the one who died for you, taking your penalty upon himself and rising again from the dead. If you believe that and turn to him, you will experience life, real life. And he doesn't complain about you. Instead, he opens his arms and he welcomes you. And he says, whosoever will, you come, you experience grace, you experience mercy, you experience new life. Yet we complain. Paul says, man, you're supposed to shine the light in a twisted and crooked generation. You need to know this. Every time you complain, every time I complain, you know what we do? We turn off the gospel light because of the inconsistency. On the one hand, we're complaining about how dissatisfied we are with life. This stinks, this is bad, this is terrible. But on the other hand, we say, man, the only place you find satisfaction is Jesus. Do you see? I'm dissatisfied, but I find satisfaction here. And so just back and forth, back and forth, inconsistently, who's going to believe you? When all you do is complain, who's going to believe you when you actually say there's good news? You see? And so every time you and I complain, whether we realize it or not, we turn off the gospel light. And, and think about this. We need to beware. Beware of complaining cousins. Right? Three words. Three words that you and I say that are apparently magical words. You ready? I'm just venting. I'm just venting. It's interesting, isn't it? For some reason, we think that if we would just qualify our words with that magical phrase, it gives us an excuse to say whatever we want to say. As long as I say I'm just venting, I'm free to spew whatever garbage I want out of my mouth. If I just say, I'm just venting, I'm free to complain. That's a complaining cousin. It's sinful. If you're just venting, you're giving into the sin of complaining, you see? Or think about this, because you've said this before. I've said it before, right? I just like to tell it like it is. She's a person who likes to tell it like it is. Well, come here real close, please. Let me tell you like it is, right? Ephesians 4.29 says what? Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only the words that are edifying, that are good for the body. Be careful, right? Because we crouch our language in such a way uh, that, that we find creative ways to complain. I'm just venting. I'm just telling it like it is. All of that's sinful. And all of that turns off the gospel light, right? Now, now watch this. Find a reason why complaining is so dangerous. And we don't. Now watch this. When you complain, you hear the work of the gospel. When you complain, you show an ungrateful heart. But finally, when you complain, you stunt your spiritual growth, right? What Paul says is, Paul says a lack of complaining is evidence of spiritual growth. When you lack complaining, it's evidence that you are blameless and innocent before God, that your position before him has changed. But look what he says, you come down. You read in the verse 15, into 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You see what Paul's saying? And when I get to the end of my life, I want to know that it was not in vain. And if you continue to complain, it's just evidence that your spiritual growth has stunted, that you've stopped growing, right? 
and all the time I've invested into you, my life I've poured into you, it's going to seem like it was in vain if you keep on complaining. Look what else he says. Even if I am poured to be poured out as a drink offering upon that sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, here's the truth. Paul knew it wasn't in vain. He knew he was living his life worthy of the gospel. We've already read it in chapter one. I mean, he loves these people. There's a speed bump they need to get over, an obstacle they need to quit complaining. But he knows his work isn't in vain. And if anyone had a right to complain, it was Paul. I mean, after all, he's in prison when he writes this. He's chained to Roman guards 24 hours a day. And in the midst of that, Paul says what? I rejoice. My life is being poured out for you as a drink offering. You see? I don't know if you know much about the Old Testament sacrificial system, but, but sometimes when you brought your offering, your sacrifice, you would pour a drink offering over it. And so this is the imagery that, that, that Paul's trying to get across these people, right? You're a sacrifice. You've, you've given your life to Jesus. Yes, it's hard. And yes, you want to complain about the hardships you're experiencing, but you've given your life to Jesus. And I've come alongside of you and I've, I've poured my life over you because we believe. We believe that Jesus is at work. This is not in vain. And we, we need to rejoice, not complain, right? And so Paul knows that, that if they continue to complain, it's only gonna stunt their spiritual growth. And it's gonna seem like that what he's done is in vain. And so he's pushing them. Come on, rejoice with me. You know your life isn't that bad. You know you're blessed, right? You've given your life to Jesus and I'm pouring my life over top of you to help you to see how good God is. And so here's the question, the final moments we have together. How do you stop it? How do you and I stop our complaining ways? Knowing that complaining is the result of an ungrateful heart. Knowing that, right, complaining turns off the gospel light. light. Knowing that complaining stunts our growth. How do we stop it? Let me give you a few ways. One, it starts with Repentance. Some of you this morning need to come face to face with the sin of complaining and see the damage it's doing to your own life and to your walk with the Lord. And there's some of us this morning that need to come before God and say, God, it's a problem for me. I don't think about it often. I don't talk about it often, but, but it really is a problem. And today is the day that I need to change. Repent. And then as you repent, watch this. Learn to use much restraint. Now watch, listen to what scripture says. You come, for example, uh, to the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 17, 27, Solomon says this. I love this. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Do we not live in a day where our words need to be restrained? Think about this. James 1, 19. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Do we not live in a day that we need to be slow to speak and quick to hear. You see what I'm saying? Now, now watch this. I, think about these verses because this is gonna blow your mind. And you may have heard me say something like this before. I, I don't know, but, but think about this. This is, this is revolutionary. If you get this, it will change so much about your life. Why? And it's so simple. Now watch this. You ready? You don't have to say everything you're thinking. Amen? Amen. I mean, you don't. 
everything that comes to mind, everything that you're dissatisfied with, everything you don't like, you don't have to verbally express it. In fact, I would tell you that your life would go much better if you learn to keep your mouth shut a lot more. It just would, you see? This is what the proverb is saying. Whoever restrains his words, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And so what that means is that when you just let your words go, you know what you don't have? Knowledge. You're showing your foolishness when you keep on talking, right? So repent, use much restraint, but watch this, watch this. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. You don't know how bad my life is, pastor. No, I don't. But if you're a follower of Jesus, God has blessed you with everything. Every spiritual blessing belongs to you. You will inherit eternity with the King of kings and Lord of lords. You will reign and rule with him. Right now, your sins are forgiven. Right now, you are a child of God. Yes, your life might seem terrible right now, but don't focus on that. Consider how much you are blessed. Because I promise you, when you start to count your blessings, you'll quickly realize you don't have much to complain about at all, right? Or think about this. Oh, this is good. Realize that your way is not always the best way. Who knew? But that's why a lot of us complain so much because we're not getting our way. And we think our way is the only way or our way is the best way. So I gotta have my way. And oftentimes your way is not the best way at all. A lot of times it's the worst way, right? Realize that your way is not always the best way and your preferences are merely preferences. Because what do we typically complain about? I don't like the music. Well, who cares? That's just a preference, right? I don't like the way you dress today. Well, that's her business, not yours. Who cares? I don't like this. You complain so much about things that just are really just very trivial and inconsequential. That are just your preferences. And so realize, right, that your way is not always the best way and your preferences are merely preferences. And finally, learn to praise God for his creativity. Because let's be honest. There's a lot of times we do what? Complain about people. If she would just, if he would just, if she did this, if she would not do this, we complain about people. And we forget, right, that every person that we complain about is made in the image of God. And we forget that every person we complain about has been uniquely designed by God. And now watch this. This will blow your mind. Every person that God has made is different than you. And, 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 and when I look around this room and I see your faces and I, and I see your faces and I, and I consider who you are, when I look around this room, you know what you do? You show off the creativity of God. You in this room are evidence of the handiwork of God. And when I complain about you, when you complain about me, we're complaining about the creativity of God, his creative work. You see what I'm saying? And so I would just challenge you this morning. If you have a problem with complaining, which we all do, me included, if we have a problem with complaining, it's time to start dealing with it because it ain't doing us no good. It's stunting our spiritual growth. It's hindering the work of the gospel. 
And it's just showing how ungrateful we are for the things that God has already done for us. And so probably for all of us this morning, it would do us good to come before God and say, God, forgive us and help us. Help us to use our words better in a way that brings life and encouragement and peace and hope. And maybe you're here this morning and the reason why you complain so much is because you've never met the God who wants to bless you and give you new life. This morning, you can experience salvation if you'll realize that you're a sinner, right? A sinner who, who apart from God is on your way to an eternity in hell. And this morning, if you'll believe, if you'll believe that, that, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something for you. He lived for you, the life you could not live. And he died for you, the death that you deserve. If you'll believe that on the cross, he took the punishment for your sin that you deserve. And you'll believe that three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was God in the flesh that came to rescue us from our sin. This morning, if you'll turn from sin and give your life to him and surrender, he will give you every reason to rejoice because he'll give you life, abundant and eternal. He'll forgive you of your sins, give you a brand new start. And so this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I'll be down front and I would love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus today. So as we have a time of invitation together, you respond as the spirit of God leads you to respond. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning and for time in your word. Father, help us. Help us to live lives that reflect what you've done for us. You've been good to us. You've blessed us. You've been faithful to us. We really have no reason to complain and every reason to rejoice. So help us to be a people of rejoicing. And for that man, that woman who might be here, who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, may that person today experience salvation. May that person give their lives to you and surrender, trusting you as the Lord. So Father, as we sing together, we're trusting that your spirit is at work. Help us to respond to you now in faith and obedience. And ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You rise your feet as we sing a song of invitation. You come now as the spirit of God leads you this morning.